Welcome to Senior Beat. My name is Laura Hunt, and I am the program coordinator at the Madison Senior, and with me today is Christine Beatty, a longtime volunteer at the Madison Senior Center. Indeed, very long time. <laughs> Good to see you, Laura. Good to see you, Christine. Well, today we have a, an exciting program for you. Um, we're, we're talking about something that's going to be happening um, in March, but it's important to prepare for it. And 2020 marks an important year, every 10 years. And our guest is a planner with the city of Madison, Ben Zellers. Thank you for being here. Good to be here. Well, tell us why 2020 is such an important year, Ben. Well, 2020 is uh, going to be the census coming up in March. Happens every 10 years, as is required by the Constitution. I wondered about that. Mm -hmm. The Constitution requires it. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's been going on every decade since 1790. Oh, um, so it's a longstanding, um, you know, U.S. tradition and. Um, we really depend on census information for a lot of things that go on in, in local government. You know, that's why it's so important for our, um, us to be aware of that coming down and, and work with it. Tell us what the process is going to be on, on the census. So it'll really start in mid-March um, when an invitation gets sent out by the Census Bureau. Um, so people will be receiving that uh, in the mail, and they'll have... Uh, a code that they can use to either respond online or by phone. Um, then some households will be, be getting a paper form really to, to start out that initial mailing. Mm -hmm. um, and so any of those options are fine and, and people fill out that uh, census information for their entire household. So it'll be an address oh, to okay. a single address and then um, you know, the head of household, so to speak, will fill that out for everybody living in that, in that unit. Okay, so if you're cousin is living with you during 2020. You, that would be a person in your household. Right. So, you're, yeah, you, you would live, uh, you'd fill it out for where you are living and your family is living or extended family is living most of the time. So if you have um, other family members that are living with you um, when census time rolls around, um, that would be something to, to take into yeah. account. I'm, I'm thinking of grandparents who might, might be taking care of grandchildren. It, it, that would if they're in that house, they, they are part of that household. That yes, sure. yeah, they need to be counted where, where they live when, right. when the census rolls right. around. Yes. Um, you know, when we talk about the, the 2020 census, it, it really is important for the city of Madison and for our country as a whole to have this information. Um, how does that make a difference? So there are two really main things that we're focusing on when we talk about the census here locally, and that's um, funding. Funding is a big piece of the puzzle when it comes to the census. The Census Bureau has, has estimated that about $675 billion of federal funding is distributed <laughs> wow. using wow. census information every year. So um, if billion, we have... Billion, you said. Billion, billion, with a B. $675 billion. Billion dollars. Yes, is it, distributed using census information every year. So wow. if we have an undercount, um, that means that the, our fair share locally would not be, be coming to the city of Madison and surrounding communities. Um, and that would happen you know, not just for a single following year, but really for the next 10 years. So um, it could really add up over that period of time. Um, then the second piece of the puzzle really is representation. So uh, the, we use census information locally to draw aldermanic district boundaries. Uh, county uses it to draw county board district boundaries. 
um, and then on up through state government for you know state assembly district boundaries, all the way up to the House of Representative uh, district boundaries. So, yeah. if there's an undercount, um, that kind of impacts how districts are, are drawn, and that could lead to some underrepresentation in certain areas going forward. Well, I know that when we would do a grant for uh, the Madison Senior Center, um, so all of our nonprofits, they depend upon the census. Uh, information to make a case for funding, even not just for federal funding, but even for county funding or local funding. Exactly, yeah. Census information really gets used for a variety of reasons, a variety of statistical purposes. Sure. Um, And so we actually, with the city, use that information as well in some of our planning processes and uh, as we consider how best to allocate funding locally. um, Well, you said to me earlier about affordable housing has an impact with that. Right, yes. So a big part of the city's affordable housing initiative over the past five years has been depending on Section 42 tax credits. Mm -hmm. Um, Sounds complicated, but ultimately really what it means is that the federal government allocates a certain amount of funding to states every year for affordable housing. And so that allocation happens based on on census uh, population counts. Wow. So this is critically important for our community to make sure that everyone is involved in the 2020 census. Exactly. How, does, um, how do we go about collecting the data for people who don't have addresses, the homeless people or people who are kind of roaming, traveling, whatever? Sure, yes. So we work with uh, local Census Bureau staff um, as city staff to uh, help them uh, kind of know about areas that they would need to visit to make sure you know folks that don't have an address are still fully counted, um, because ultimately it's not you know just about you know the number of voters or the number of citizens. It's really about counting everybody that's living in the U.S. Mm-hmm. when the census is taken, whether or not they have an address. So when you're sending things to household, that creates a need for people to kind of follow up on stuff like, you know, homeless individuals or people who might be marginalized in our community. Yes, so really that, um, you know, like I said, we work with the Census Bureau to make sure that they are aware of, of, uh, you know, areas that uh, people may frequent who are experiencing homelessness to make sure that they're able to count um, those folks who obviously because they don't have an address won't be getting that invitation in the mail. So that all happens. Um, in person to make sure that um, those folks are, are counted. So maybe there'll be some programs at the senior center that would uh, encourage people to fill out these forms as they come in in March. Um, you talk- yeah, we have been promoting it in our newsletters. Oh, good. And we are looking at ways to make our computer lab available certain times um, oh. with people in there to help people respond to the census information. Good. So that would be a helping hand mm-hmm. if somebody's confused about how to do the online portion of it and even get some maybe some advice about how to do the telephoning, too, from the senior center. Yes. So, yeah, and we're depending on you know, resources like mm-hmm. the senior center, and um, we want to make computers available at you know, public libraries, other locations for sure. people who... You know, may not have internet access at home, may not have a computer at home. We still want to have that avenue available for people to fill out their census information. And this is one where you don't want to just toss out that postcard. If you're you're frustrated or you're confused about it, you might want to ask a son or daughter to help you fill it out or a grandchild. It's usually the grandchildren, I think, that do the computer (laughs) stuff. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, um, don't let it get lost in the mail. Keep your eye on the mail uh, starting in mid-March and... 
Um, the Census Bureau will send out reminders for, for folks that haven't uh, put in responses, but we want to try to encourage people as soon as they get that to really um, right. look forward to Where out. can people get more information about the 2020 Census? So we have a city webpage that's that's up and running at citymadison.com forward slash 2020 census. Okay. Um, the Census Bureau also has their own you know national website at 2020census.gov. Great, that's helpful. And then is um, I, I think that you're making outreach efforts. If there is like a group or somebody who wants more information for their uh, membership or their participants, would you be a contact for them to get that? Sure, help? and we have a, a dedicated uh, email address set up for that. Oh, at, great. Yeah, 2020census at cityofmadison.com. Um, and so either myself or somebody else will, will be able to respond to any That's of those messages. That's great. I, I think the more we make this uh, aware, our community aware, I think the better we're going to do. Um, and I'm so glad, Laura, that you're doing something at the Senior Center with this because I think that the senior adult population might be a low count population is my guess. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that transition from, you know, previous use of paper forms to this more online response focus um, can be, make it easier for some folks to fill out and make it harder for other folks to fill out. So we, yeah, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, people are are aware of this change and and still feel comfortable. Right. um, And you said you can, you, you were given a telephone number, so you could do the census on the phone as well. Yes, so that um, invitation that the Census Bureau uh, sends out in the mail um, will have, uh, you know, the different ways that people can respond uh, to the census. Okay. Now, the Census Bureau would not call one of us and ask us for information, right? Correct. So, yeah, I mean, that's another thing to be aware Mm -hmm. of is, you know, there can be people out there who look to take advantage of efforts like this. Good for you. um, That's right. And um, try to extract information from people, but... Um, it'll be uh, a mailed invitation to respond mm-hmm. from the Census Bureau that will be arriving in mid-March. And then if there are um, you know, follow-up uh, to households that have, have not responded, um, you know, Census Bureau staff that do that follow-up will, are required to carry ID with them mm-hmm. uh, for the Census Bureau. So, so someone could even have a knock on the door from a census worker? Yes. If, if a household doesn't respond by um, uh, you know, the online response or by phone, or eventually they'll get a reminder that will include a paper form, if none of, the, none of those generate a response from a household, um, eventually there will be a Census Bureau employee that will follow up with a knock on the door. Uh, to, to collect information. And this is one of those cases where you need to give the information. And the yes. information is not information of a financial kind. Correct. So, or a confidential kind. Right. So, it's really just nine basic questions, you know, okay. things like how many uh, people are living at this address. Um, they, it, does, it does ask for names, so that's a way that they can check against, against uh, you know, Double counting and make okay. sure that every person is, is counted only, only once. And yeah. so, it's basic things like that. Um, yeah. You know, and they have the ID too. That's they have the an ID. Yeah. So yes, if you do get that knock on the door, uh, Census Bureau ask for that yeah, ID. Ask for that ID to be sure. Yeah. The other issue that I want to bring up in the few minutes we have left is um, that this might be an opportunity for some of our viewers to have some employment as well because the Census Bureau needs those people to knock on doors and to yes. uh, help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, they have a variety of positions open, and they really are looking for 
uh, people from the community to do census work in the community. That's so right. um, it's uh, you know a variety of different positions, flexible hours, sometimes opportunities to work from home for certain positions. Wonderful. Um, so that's something, and, and it's just for a certain period of yeah, time. Limited, it's not f- forever. Right. Yeah. Words. Limited limited time limited uh, time frame. So. Um, if people are looking to apply, um, you know, through the main Census Bureau website at 2020census.gov is, is the way to start looking. 2020census.gov. And, and that would give you, uh, a person information on a, a how to go about applying for it because it's the Census Bureau that would be the employer. Right. So, yeah, this is a, this is a federal effort, and we as a city are trying to, you know, um, enhance that effort with our, our local connections and, and publicizing sure. things locally, but sure. that would be a, a federal position. Yes. Wonderful. So, I mean, I think that anytime we can find some employment for uh, older people in the community, and they make, I think, good ambassadors going out and, and, and being more, I think, user-friendly in some cases for those uh, marginalized properties populations. But, but also, there, you said there are positions where they don't have to be walking around, right? So as older adults with maybe some physical limitations, there still might be opportunities? Oh. Yeah, there, there are a variety of positions. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're all um, what the Census Bureau calls enumerator positions, which right, are the folks yeah. that go out and knock on doors. So sure. um, there, can, there can still be different opportunities. Well, wonderful to have you with us, Ben, today. Um, it's really important. This 2020 is an important year because now is a chance for us to make our presence known, I guess, in a certain way and exactly. and yes. fill the form out or get online or get on the telephone and do it. Do it. And uh, if you need some help, I, I always like to refer people to the Madison Senior Center because uh, the senior centers can be helpful in that regard as well. So good luck and maybe uh, later we can find out more about how successful Madison has been in this endeavor. Thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. Glad to join you. All right. Good. We'll be right back.
Hi, welcome back to Senior Beat, and we have another segment of our show today um, that I think you'll be very interested in. We are lucky to have Darren Wisniewski from uh, AARP with us today. Darren, welcome. Thank you. Good Glad to, be here. to have you. Um, Darren is the Associate State Director of Community Outreach for AARP, and today he's here. He's going to talk to us about a wonderful initiative um, that uh, AARP has had um, called Livable Cities, and as a part of that, Age-Friendly Cities. Correct. Wonderful. Tell us about this Livable uh, Community Initiative. Sure. You know, many people wonder why AARP is even getting into livable communities yeah. when they're known for, you know, uh, many issues for people 50 plus. And it's because way back, um, probably about a decade ago, they surveyed members and to see, you know, what issues were, were most on their minds. Mm -hmm. um, and they found out through the results of that survey that 86% uh, of our members wanted to not only stay in their homes as they got older, but they wanted to stay in their community. And when you take a look at things, um, the typical American home is built for an able-bodied 35-year-old, um, wow. not for anybody with any mobility limitations. And the communities are built just the same. Right. Um, just try crossing a street yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with yeah. a crosswalk. Yeah. And so ARP said... A busy said, street uh, <laughs> and a wide street absolutely. in yeah. the time frame. In the time frame yeah. that yeah. they give you. Yeah. So with that, AARP said, you know, we really do need to focus on creating livable communities um, for our folks. And, and not only just those 15 plus, but, but livable communities for everybody. Um, there's another organization out there where their, their line is, if you create a community for an 8-year-old and an 80-year-old, you've made it livable for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's really our, our philosophy with this. And so then that takes us into 2012 when um, AARP became the U.S. affiliate of the World Health Organization's Network of Age-Friendly Communities. Um, so, so this, this is a is global program. Global, worldwide. Yes, wow. It is. Okay. Um, so AARP got involved, and they thought, well, in the beginning, maybe we'll have 50 communities that would want to do this, and some networks so that you can learn off of each other. Right. Um, when you when you join the network, it's not saying it's not a designation saying we are an age-friendly city. Right. It's saying we think this is important, and we're going to look at everything we do and everything we plan through the lens of being age-friendly. Right. Um, and so they thought, well, maybe we have 50 people, 50 communities that yeah, would like to yeah, do this. Yeah. Uh, this year, we now um, most recently turned 429. Uh, now, this is livable communities. This is the age-friendly network. Oh, the age-friendly age network. Yes. Okay, So, So all of this falls under the umbrella of ARP's livable communities okay. work. Okay. Um, and that, livable means there's a lot of resources that are out there on the website. There's a great weekly or monthly e-newsletter that you can do and a lot of publications to help you just learn about livable communities. The network says this is a group of people who get together to share their ideas and right. exchange their ideas. Best practices. And work best practices, right. What some city does that really worked well, then we can learn from that as well, right? Correct. Good. Yeah. yeah. And so then it even branched off into states and territories in that uh, about two years ago we had some of the first states join. Um, so now there are six states uh, and two territories, the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about transportation. When you said that if you design a, a community for an 8-year-old yeah. and an 80-year-old, I remember when uh, specialized transportation was really getting started, people said, oh, we don't want to spend the money on that. It's just for older people. And 
we started talking about, no, it's for mothers carrying groceries and babies. Mm -hmm. It's for other younger people who have mobility issues. It affects everybody in our it community, does. and that's really an important part of the effort, I think. Yeah. I think that's an important distinction to make, too, that it's not just about old people. It, Correct. Yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely everybody. It, and it looks through a lens, they call them the eight domains of livability, oh, and so yeah, transportation right. is one of those eight domains Good. of livability. Good. And other things, you're looking at the importance of outdoor spaces and public buildings and your mm -hmm. access to them. Right. Um, you look at housing. Uh, affordable housing, but also accessible housing. Yeah. Um, you know, how easy is it to get in there? How easy is it to have visitors come visit you yeah. in, in your housing? Yeah. Um, social participation, social inclusion and respect, um, employment for everybody across, no matter who they are. That's right. Um, communication and then healthcare. Yeah. Uh, so those are all some of the eight domains of, of livability that right. we look at. Right. And also, you know, I think it's important. I, I'm very passionate about the fact that older people are a resource. So civic engagement involving all ages to be in, involved in volunteerism and that kind of aspect is really something that AARP has done such a wonderful job at over the years, I think. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. Um, so how you were talking about a kind of like a listserv of different of these communities um, where could where could somebody learn more about the livable community and age friendly um, yeah city? there's uh, two websites um, both at aarp.org and slash livable communities mm -hmm. or slash age friendly uh, mm -hmm. would be the the websites to learn there yeah. um, and the age friendly would be the process the the application process and what it entails. Um, and what the expectations are okay. um, once you join the network. So, I was just going to ask, is Wisconsin one of those states that has joined? Not currently. So that is something we should encourage them to do. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And we do have uh, six communities um, in the state of Wisconsin who um, have joined the network. We have um, uh, Greendale and Sheboygan and Sherwood, who joined in 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just this past year, we have Wausau, La Crosse, uh, and uh, make a special announcement of uh, the sixth community at the end of January. Oh. And who might that be? It's a, <laughs> is, that a special, is that a secret? <laughs> stay well, tuned. Stay yeah, tuned. Stay <laughs> tuned. Well, um, I think Madison should be a leader in this effort since they have such a wonderful senior center. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're saying that there may be some announcement that would be coming sometime in the month of January about Madison. That is correct. Yeah. Well, I am so thrilled, and that's uh, one of the reasons why we're glad that you're here to explain it for us a little bit more about how. So, so Madison is going to apply to be one. Right. A community makes an application. Okay. Um, so they just list on, um, it asks a variety of questions, uh, because we also want to make sure that there isn't just one group of people who are working on this. That it truly has to be a community effort, and you're bringing everybody around the table well, across. And that expands the awareness of the whole initiative. Exactly. You know, yes. And so we want to see who those partners are, um, what things have been done in the past, and where do you think you can make improvements or where they go. Uh, once the application is submitted and approved, 
then it's a five-year commitment. Um, and with that commitment, you take the first two years to do an assessment of the community, uh, oh. to do understand perceptions. Uh, we all know what we might think we have, but yeah. until we talk to the people out in the community, we might not understand the perceptions. So we understand those perceptions, you know, measured against what we know, and then develop an action plan and say, where can we move the needle in one of these eight domains of livability? What kind of things rose to the top in our conversations out there? So it's it's not just a a kind of a quickie sort of here's what we've got and then a stamp of approval. It's a process by which the community actually assesses how age-friendly it is. That is correct, yes, wow. and constantly measuring it throughout the process. So we've had some of the communities, in the, the state of Maine is a leader in this, and there are some of the original ones from 2012. Mm -hmm. And so they've gone through the five years, and now they've many of the communities have re-upped. And so they're looking at, here's what we said, here's the actions we made, here's the progress we made, and now here's where we want to go. And they continually work this so it's, throughout the process. Yeah, so, so it, it, it's never-ending. When evaluating the committee and assessing it, so we're actually going to, if we apply for this, need to go out into the community. It's not just a group of people sitting in a meeting room answering questions. We have to go out and do focus groups? Focus talk to the people yep. where they are yeah. um, to, to truly understand that information. And that really um, can enhance the community in a lot of different, uh, than, uh, these eight different areas. You start, I know when we did the national accreditation, mm -hmm. sa same kind of thing. You, yeah. you have people talking about, you know, how can we get better at what we're doing? Um, I know a few years ago there was a pedestrian safety issue, and we were laughing about how wide the street is and the timing of the lights. But that makes a big difference for getting across the street safely for everybody in the community. Yeah. And that's livable community, isn't it? Yeah. And also age-friendly, both. That's great. Um, how long do you think this process will take to get Wisconsin on the bandwagon? And how would you go about that? Well, I can share that there is some interest in it okay. and so some discussions. Um, there's a lot of pieces that would need to fall together yeah. for that, but yeah. there is some interest in it. So but that's I positive. think that's, that's really interesting that you don't have to have the state take the lead on this, that the cities and communities mm -hmm. can step forward and do this. Right. You know, when that old adage that all politics is local, I mean, things happen at the local level. But, you know, if you can get the state on board, because there are some things that are under the state control and the state purview that would either hinder or help the efforts mm -hmm. of age-friendly communities. Mm -hmm. And so if you have everybody, you know, rowing in the same direction, it just makes this process a lot easier. Good. So tell us uh, uh, contact information for people who want to know more about this. What? Where would they call or, or look at? Yeah, I mean, in Wisconsin they're, and in Madison, they're more than um, happy to, or more than welcome to, to contact me at my office. Mm -hmm. um, again, these are all local initiatives, so okay. once a local initiative is launched, it becomes the, the, you know, the property of, of the, the, whoever the lead agency is, the lead group is, and in, in dealing it locally there. And so mm -hmm. that would be a, a mm -hmm. contact there. Okay, so is there a website where we get more information? Uh, yes, and it's aarp.org slash livable communities. Okay. Or aarp.org slash age friendly communities. Great. Or age friendly. Age friendly. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and we're looking for maybe some kind of an exciting announcement, Laura? That's what I hear. Something 
Around January 30th, maybe? I think so. Uh -huh. Aha. So, so Pay attention for that. So there are some efforts in the works. And, um, Laura, would it be appropriate for people who are interested in this to contact the Senior Center for uh, more information? Definitely. You can contact the Senior Center for more information. And, and how would we do that? What's the phone number there? Um, 266-6581. Great. Um, so that's an opportunity for us to get involved in making our community better for everyone, not just older adults, not just young kids, but everyone, with a great initiative by AARP. Um, congratulations on this. Now, you're the lead person. Uh, I'm one of two in the state. I have a counterpart who's based out of Milwaukee, oh. uh, Amber, and uh, so she kind of works on uh, specifically Milwaukee County uh, mm -hmm. and the efforts around there. And, and you called yourself earlier a coach. Yes, and that's, that's you know, one of the values that we bring to our network communities here in Wisconsin is we are a coach for those communities. Right. Um, everything happens, um, you know, we, we tell the local communities that they're the experts in their own communities, but we help them ask those questions. And, right. and move things forward. Well, thank you so much for being yes. here today. And maybe we'll uh, have another opportunity to talk with you or Amber or the Senior Center uh, later on in the year yeah. as we get involved in this a little bit further. Thank we'll you. Look forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for watching Senior Beat today. See you next month. Great. Good.